0: Hi, I'm Seth Kalina, and I am one of the two hosts of the Two High podcast, and I just want to tell you guys what you are in for uh, before we get into it. So me and Deontay, the other host of the Two High podcast, had on one of our best friends, Derek Claston, to go over quite a few things, actually. So obviously, we touched on our preview of the conference championship games, uh, 49ers and Rams, and of course, Cincinnati and Kansas City. We also got our takes on the coaching carousel. Um, So the Broncos making a hire, the uh, Jaguars kind of diddly-daddling around what we think we know with the hire, is Sean Payton retiring, and and the Bears making a hire and all that stuff. And then also because Derek is doing uh, breakdowns or or scouting reports of the front seven class of the uh, upcoming 2022 NFL draft, we got his takes um, on the edge players the interior defensive line and the linebackers and talked our way through some of those um some of those players so um yeah this is a too high podcast and um as you guys know we are presented by pff and if you go to pff.com right now you can get 25 percent off any pff subscription if you use the promo code too high that's t-w-o h-i-g-h um, and you can get everything that you that you know uh, and dream about with a PFF subscription. uh PFF's locked article content, all the betting dashboards, um, player prop tool, which shows positive and negative value for every NFL prop, the draft guide that's coming out, and, and much, much more. So support the pod, use promo code Too high for 25% off any subscription, and uh, here we go. The 2high podcast is pleased to welcome to the show Mr. Derek Klassen. Now, last week we had uh, Steven Ruiz of The Ringer on, and I did not do a good enough job of, at the beginning of the show, letting him explain who he is, who he works for, uh, you know, what's all his thing? Now, part of that is because I don't really like Steven very much. But I do, however, like you, Derek, a lot. So I'm going to let you start the show. We've already had you on the show a few, a few months ago. But I'm going to start by letting you uh, tell people who you are, uh, what you do, and, uh, and you know, just general, general uh, Derek facts.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on again. Uh, I'm not going to lie, the tone that you started that with, I thought it was going to be an ad read. For whatever reason, so I got a little scared uh, that we were gonna start off the show that way. Um, anyway, yeah, I am I'm Derek. Uh, I'm at QB class on Twitter. Uh, if you guys want to follow me there I do, um, film room stuff at Football Outsiders and then I'm going to be doing some more draft stuff over there this year. More than we've usually done, which I think is really cool. Um, and then I also do some NFL draft stuff over at Bleacher Report with uh, Nate Tice, Brandon Thorne, uh, Corey Giddings. We're all going to be um, you know, doing the draft cycle and stuff together. So I've got all the front seven guys, so that's kind of my deal right now, yeah.
2: He is also Football Twitter's favorite gamer. I think what, uh, <laughs> what I mean
1: call you, S-tier. I can't say that about myself, but... <laughs>
2: Yeah, he's an uh, well, Derek, gamer, we, according to Ben Solak and Mina Kimes. Uh,
0: before we got to recording, Derek was telling me that um, on his second monitor, so not giving us his full attention, but on his second monitor is a League of Legends game going on right now. So if we lose him for a bit, you, you guys know why. Yeah,
1: uh, I have a replay of uh, KT Rolster, uh live Sandbox on, so... <laughs> right, that's
2: I don't know what any of these... <laughs> <stuff is. laughs>
0: Uh, I know KT Rolster because they are also sponsored a StarCraft team back. Mm. I don't know if they still do, but um, when I was big into StarCraft, that's uh, I remember them. All right. So we're going to get talk about um, coaching changes in the NFL and the uh, conference championship preview. However, like you said, Derek, you are doing the front seven for the draft for Bleacher Report. So, um, And we're going to have you back on to really get into the details of this front seven class but let's start with um a little little sneak preview i guess your favorite from the three kind of positions you're doing so let's start What's who's your favorite edge in this class
1: uh i mean my favorite to watch is probably been george karloftis i mean i think just the way he coils and like comes off the ball is kind of insane for a guy who's uh somewhere between like 265 275 so um he's got super heavy hands he's like crazy flexible for a guy his size so he's kind of in that like cameron jordan ish mold um so i've been really excited about him i mean he's kind of like a top 15 prospect anyway but he's to me like a top three player i mean he's just phenomenal um other than that i really like arnold um Arnold Ebicchetti from, from Penn State, he's he's kind of a smaller, wiry-ish type of guy, but um, he has some really, really good hands. He flies off the ball. His bend is maybe the best in the class, honestly. He's just, you know, not as, as thick and powerful as some of the other guys, so you kind of have to live with that, but um, just his speed and bend is crazy, and he's got really good hands, so I'm pretty excited for him. So those are probably my two favorite edge guys right now.
2: Now, for me, like, and I have honestly only kind of given a cursory watch to the guys who are at the top of the edge class. But to me, I don't really see any elite benders in this class. I see guys that have like great length and are able to use like their stab moves, their long arms, they have good get offs, guys who can finish with power, convert speed to power. Um, do you see the same thing? Like is this just going is this going to be a class where we get good pass rush production out of it, but maybe not like that two super top top tier guys because we don't have guys that have the kind of hip mobility that we would expect out of like the top of like an edge class or franchise talent at that position
1: what i would say is that uh, to me the two best like pure benders are like i mentioned Ebiketti and david ajabo from michigan the problem yeah. is they just have deficiencies in other yeah. areas that don't make them elite yeah they're kind of smaller guys Not the biggest and strongest run defenders, Ojabo particularly. I mean, I think we saw down the stretch of the season, they were kind of taking him off the field on some rundowns, which I think is a little bit concerning. But um, I think they do kind of have that elite or close to it kind of bend. It's just they don't necessarily have everything else that rounds out the skill set for a truly elite
0: player. Right.
1: Do Do
0: you want the people to get mad at you about your Aiden Hutchinson takes now or when we have you back on the podcast? Uh... It depends. I'm hoping maybe people will come around to
1: him being just kind of a good, not great prospect by the time we have him on again. So, or by first the time we, I get on again, uh, no, if summer. he's the first overall pick, bro, I no, we're not doing that. <laughs> so we're back.
2: We're back to our favorite segment, which is Seth throws somebody on the podcast to the Wolves <laughs> with their take.
0: <laughs> well, because yeah. I do the thing is I, I I do that to myself enough that I have to like throw mm-hmm. other people under the bus at times. All right, so let's yeah. move to the interior guys' uh, favorite interior defensive lineman
1: interior uh dude logan hall from houston i was talking about this guy with uh with charles mcdonald the other day because he finally got to watch him he's not like the bendiest kind of guy um he's more of like a three tech four eye type but um dude he comes off the ball really well his hands are heavy as hell um he's just really really mean like he's not ever really going to give you ground um in the run game at all and i think what's most impressive to me is he came in To houston as like a three-star 225 pound edge player and they've slowly bulked him up and moved him inside so the fact that he's like kind of new to playing inside but is so good at seeing in a lot of these run concepts and and, you know not letting himself get blindsided and all that stuff is crazy impressive to me and it just seems like the the ceiling for him is is really really exciting so i'm all the way in on logan hall to me he's the second best defensive lineman in the class behind davis Nice. So, actually, I'm
2: I'm glad you brought that up. And honestly, today is not the day to do all the Jordan Davis discourse because I find a lot of it exhausting. Um, but I do obviously hear a lot from teams who have needs along the interior defensive line. Like obviously being where I'm from, um, I get a lot of Chargers fans who are asking like what the trade off is between going to get like a high quality. Um, Productive player that's a vet like a Sebastian Joseph Day, that's obviously the hot name that's hitting, uh, that's going to be hitting the market. We're expecting. Um, if you're a team in that position, would you be more comfortable getting like a day two guy that plays on the interior defensive line versus paying whatever the veteran's price is going to be in this year's market um, to get immediate returns at that position? Like, where where are you at in terms of uh, positional value versus a
1: draft? Uh, I mean, I don't actually mind spending like decent picks on those guys. I think especially now with just the way that the NFL is kind of moving, if we're going to start moving to all these lighter boxes, these two high structures, you got to have guys who are going to eat up space. And I know that like a lot of those guys aren't going to contribute in the passing game as much, which sucks. Um, But if you can get like just, you know, average play out of them in the passing game and then have them be, you know, great run stoppers, I I think with just the way that the league is moving, especially with a lot of these like smaller linebackers too, like. It just makes sense to have a guy who I think is is good at doing that. I mean, you look at the Chargers, like it literally derailed their season because they didn't have a guy like that, like literally derailed their season. So yeah. I don't really mind spending picks on that. I don't know how to like delineate which I would rather, you know, spend money or spend picks. It probably just depends on what you think of the class. I don't know if there's that many great noses in this class. Like you get Davis and then um, I actually really like Travis Jones from UConn. But then after that, it's kind of like, Good luck. <laughs> so maybe you right. do need to spend in, in this right. uh, in this off season, but I, I wouldn't really mind allocating
0: resources there at all. Um, I have a question for you because you, you you're watching so much of this film in the box, right? And and I just recently uh, did my rankings, my top five offensive tackles in the draft. You can go on pff.com and find that. So the more I'm watching, the more I'm like, huh? I, I'm like, I have to throw away so many plays because you're getting all of these three man, three man defensive lines, three players inside the tackle and then if you're getting a pass rush out of that, I mean like you got to th- I mean like I'm watching these tackles play against a four eye and I'm like they're they're not pass sitting to any edge rusher, they're letting they're you know almost like kicking inside it and the four eyes got to loop around. Like when you're, when you're watching these guys, especially these kind of interior slash edge guys. And I think there are, there's, there's like kind of a lot of them as these guys go from high school to college and, and teams are trying to figure out where to play them um, based on their body type. But do, do you get like frustrated? I guess is my question, that's what, that's what I was feeling is how frustrated I was, you know, and the specific one was watching Mississippi States Charles cross where they got so much tight front in front of them, three-man front, everyone in, in between the in between the tackles, because it was killing Mississippi State in 2020. They did a better job against it this year, but I'm like, I got to throw... Now, luckily, they throw the ball like 75 times a game, but I have to throw out like 40 plays. Because it's like, well, th- th- nothing about this is NFL, right? And do, right. do you find that when you watch from the opposite side, from the, from the D-line? Yeah, I, I mean,
1: it's obviously not everybody. Um, there's plenty of like normal defenses or normal reps that you're going to get, but like... One of the biggest examples to me is, like, Majai Sanders, the edge from Cincinnati. Mm, Like, they play him on or, like, barely outside the tackle on, like, half his snaps. And it's like, dude, he's like a wiry speed kind of guy. Like, he's not going to play there in the NFL. Like, that's literally, like, these snaps aren't real. So you look at him in like, some of his reps where he's, like, you know, right over the tackle and it's like... Ah, he he maybe doesn't bend as well as he wants, but it's like he's never going to line up there in the NFL. And if you are, you're making a mistake. So mm-hmm. I think guys like him are really tricky to project for that exact reason. Um, like linebacker Mike Rose, also from Iowa State, he's playing mm-hmm. like an yes. apex the whole time. And like, right. he's not going to do that in the NFL. It's like Dorian O'Daniel way back, you know, a few years ago at Clemson, like he's literally mm-hmm. just playing an apex and it's like that position doesn't really exist in the nfl unless you're really more of a safety body like so I, I mean say, like that, yeah, it's like we don't use linebackers at that in that way in exactly and so. like the one guy that was supposed to do it isaiah simmons they don't even really make him do that so like
2: i mean yeah from day one they were like yeah all that safety <laughs>
1: overhang nickel
2: stuff in yeah, now nah, you're the mic sorry
1: yeah so it's like if he's not going to do it i don't think this day three dude from iowa state is really going to do it either but and right. so like how do you project him more inside so right. so guys like that are tricky. Yeah, I, it's definitely very frustrating because then at that point, all draft stuff is kind of like projecting traits. But with those guys in particular, it's that's all you got. Like I was going to say,
2: I mean, this is something that I've talked to you and like our friend Justice Mosqueda and all the guys that we know that have worked a bunch on the draft about the linebacker position specifically because of the way the spread works in college versus the way that every other offense works in the pros. Like at that position, you really are just like scouting out like, OK, what's the athletic profile? Has he peaked in terms of his athletic profile? Like and if he moves inside, does this translate, right? Like do we actually think that he can live between the tackles when outside zone is coming at you at twenty-four miles an hour? Right? like stuff like that really matters in terms of like your athleticism. Like and for me, we were talking about this, you know, with some of our some of our friends on a Zoom yesterday, like watching Fred Warner. And like the thing I said to them was like, the one thing you got to remember about a guy like Fred Warner is that he came into college as a wide receiver. He's 180 pounds and 6'2. like, so there's, there was a certain amount of projection that goes in with that, taking a guy who played something that was not linebacker at all. And does not step into the building with that frame and saying, Hey, you can take 40 plus pounds and not lose your 40 time, not lose your three cone, not lose your short shuttle. Um, Same thing with like Roquan Smith, right? Which is somebody that we really liked coming out of Georgia. Um, Like, we start talking about these athletic traits at this position. This is why it's so tricky. And I think why the discourse around some of these positions, especially up the middle of the defense between your interior defensive line and your linebackers and your safeties can get kind of like convoluted because I I don't know if people exactly know how to project from one thing to the next, because so much of this is about athletic profile versus like, can this person do X job that's completely different than the job that we're
1: watching him do right now. I think linebacker too is the trickiest like when you kick those guys inside because like playing from depth at 12 yards I I mean safety is obviously the guys that are going to most commonly transition to linebacker playing at depth where you can see everything versus playing at four and a half yards right where like you're you know right behind like a tackle to a defensive tackle to where like your vision's even more cloggy like it's just a completely different game and that's why I, I it's really really nice when you can find safety types who can actually see the game pretty well from the box, like Chad Muma. uh, He's a linebacker. He, I I like him a lot. And he actually has kind of made the transition there. He was a a safety um, back in high school. And so like, it's, you can see the value when those dudes can make the transition, Mm -hmm. but seeing the game at a a lot closer, it's, it's just different, bro. It's really hard.
0: I just want to circle back to something that Deontay brought up. Uh, We did do a zoom last night with a bunch of our football buddies and we watched uh, Watched some tape and it was really enlightening. And but the main reason I'm bringing that up again is because Derek was invited and he thought he was too good for us and didn't show up.
1: So I just I just want to put that out there. <laughs> I'm just trying to beat Yakuza 2. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, you don't get
2: to be football Twitter's favorite
0: gamer by, by not putting in the work. Right? Exactly, bro. I'm, I'm living what I what I preach. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's talk about linebackers then. Um, just give me your favorite um, in this class.
1: Yeah, I mean. I'm not going to give you one of the top three. I think the, the top three, you know, Dean, Harris, and Lloyd is pretty obvious. Um, yeah. Other than that, I really like Muma, who I just mentioned. Um, I think his coverage skills are probably the best. University of Wyoming. Yeah, University of Wyoming. His coverage skills yeah, are probably the best outside of that top three. But, like, his pursuit is really, really good. He takes great angles. He runs through all his tackles, which... That's actually really hard to do to like trust your athleticism to do that. A lot of guys love to stop their feet and and shoot, and you miss tackles that way. Devin Lloyd does it. Christian Harris does it. Like it's hard to not do that, and to have the confidence and athleticism to to be able to run through your tackles, really impressive. So I, I like the floor that I think he brings. Other guy is um, Darian Beavers. I, I mean. He's like my baby KJ, right? I love him. He's okay, just, so Beavers is like one of the guys at the top of my list to watch, so dude, I'm glad to hear Super this. long arms, plays like an asshole, really good tackler, like, and he's really smart in zone coverage too. He's obviously not like, he's kind of clunky in the way that he moves, he's not the fastest guy, but he knows where he's got to be, which like, that was the thing with KJ too, like KJ's not the best athlete, he just right. was better at being where he was supposed to be than you were, and right. I think that that's kind of the, should be the blueprint for for Beavers.
0: All right, uh, let's get off the draft and get into uh, the coaching carousel in the NFL. Um, you're recording this, what, Tuesday, Jesus. Recording this Thursday afternoon. So we'll get to everything that's kind of happened up to this point, I guess. And there was a couple today that happened. But we have to start with Sean Payton retiring a couple days ago from the New Orleans Saints. I mean, I guess I'll go first and just say that it, it's not—it's like weirdly uh, not shocking because I think there, there was a lot of... S- you know it's a lot of where there's smoke there's fire type situation and even though this kind of happened every year and you can go back and find tweets of being like uh sean payton is actually uh rumored to be the dallas cowboys head coach is rumored right. to be the chicago bears head coach now there was really in, one an interesting story and i forgot where i saw it about how he was really going to be the dallas cowboys head coach and they had a, an agreement and there and the jerry jones was going to trade for him and gail benson was in agreement and loomis was in agreement and anthony davis left the pelicans and they gail benson and mickey loomis didn't want to do that to the city of new orleans like in like in like a one week span losing anthony davis and um and sean payton so like there was a lot of rumors to, to him like always wanting to leave and and Certainly, this last season when you're when you're really not winning games, and he was going to leave after after they lost to the Rams in the NFC Championship game after a super winning season. So I guess I'm not shocked. Uh, it was a great time as a Saints fan for 16 years, and I and like it sucks that they didn't win the, a title from 2017 to 2020. But you can they were one of the top three teams in the NFL. So like whatever they did to change their fortunes from from like those seven and nine seasons of uh, 14, 15, 16. Uh, it sucks that the end result not there, but the process was kind of, it kind of worked and there was a lot of wins and that was super fun. And then, you know, obviously I, I can go back and we can really get into the, get into me, my memories here, but like I, I'll never forget 2006 right. when they played Atlanta in the dome and Steve Gleason blocked the punt. Like
2: that is like, I mean, that's an, that's an all time, that's an all time football moment. Not just right
0: that's just like an all-time defining moment in in i always feel weird saying this and i know it's and i shouldn't because i'm talking to you guys i'm talking to a bunch of sports fans listening but it's like like how can how can something i watched on tv how can a sporting event be a defining moment in my life but it is right it just is that was the defining moment in my life. Um, Tracy Porter intercepting Brett Favre, and then intercepting uh, Peyton Manning two weeks later. It's the defining moment in life, and all the wins, and all the losses, the unbelievable heartbreak that came with the Sean Payton era. Whether it was like losing to San Francisco, you know, losing to Vernon Davis uh, in one of the best games ever played. Whether it was like the fourth straight, um, basically last play of the game losses, um, you know, 17, 18, and nineteen, like. Anyways, it was a fun time. It was a very fun time to be a Saints fan, and I learned a lot. I think I know who I am as like a coach and like an analyst because I got to watch Drew Brees and Sean Payton work together for sixteen, for fifteen years or fourteen years, whatever it was. Uh, so yeah, um, but I'll 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 get off this memory note and ask you guys who you think the next head head coach of the Saints should be. I'll let you take that first, Derek. I mean,
1: if they can just promote Allen, like, you just should, right? Because I think what's so interesting is, like, you were just mentioning the, you know, how did they turn around their fortunes from being those 7-9 and nine teams? Well, they figured out the defense, and yes. who was responsible for that? Dennis Allen. I mean, obviously, they've, like, drafted well. and yeah, they drafted the- very well, yeah. You still have to do that, too. But, like, Dennis Allen has been there for this defensive turnaround, and I think part of the reason they never... Fully won anything over the past few years is like that also coincided with like the decline of Drew Brees, which was kind of just like unlucky and that sucks. But like the reason they've been around near the top of the league for the past five or whatever years is because of Dennis Allen. So I think you just don't let him out of the building if you can. um I mean, I think he should just be the guy. And like, I don't know if if all we know about how to hire the next head coach is like what they've done as a coordinator it's really, really hard to find anybody more qualified than Dennis Allen on either side of the ball. I was going to say
2: like a bad franchise would hit this kind of hit this point and allow their defensive coordinator who would very obviously be a head coaching candidate in any other capacity to walk out the door. Like you'd be a nut to allow Dennis Allen to walk out the door. Um, Especially given the fact that we know that they're in cap hell and Obviously people have been able you've been, you're able to make salary cap issues disappear for a little while but they've been doing that for a little while and eventually the bill does come due and I think that we're starting to see some of the attrition in the roster from that and you need program guys in those circumstances people who can develop because they're gonna have to do a lot through the draft. it's not going to be a big free agency or trade market for New Orleans you keep the guy that you know. That you know can lock down at least one side of the ball if nothing else and then you try to build it back up from there like for Dennis Allen's and for Dennis Allen's sake I would hate to see him take on another situation that's not ready made to succeed like the way that it was in Oakland when he was a head coach there because I do really want to see him get a chance to work with a clean slate but. If I'm New Orleans, I'm paying whatever the market price needs to be in order to retain his services and make him the head coach. I just don't know. There's no way you can replace him this late in the cycle and who you'd be competing with. Like the Giants, um, you know, we'll get to the Jaguars, you know, some of the places that still have not the Vikings, some of the places that still have not made head coaching hires, they're going to be paying premium prices because they're all interviewing and targeting the same people. You don't want Dennis Allen out there (laughs) raising his price and really making it painful
0: for you. Let's flip to the offense though. So even if Dennis Allen becomes the head coach, what do you do with the offense? Like do you just say, "Hey Pete Carmichael, you're 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 sticking around. You have called plays." Like there's been times where Sean Payne has not been there, whether it's through COVID, whether it was through the leg injury, whether it was through the suspension. Like there's been times where Sean Payne has not been the play caller for the Saints on game day. And, and and I've always thought Pete Carmichael did a great job when he was there. But the question is, do we need to go in another completely different philosophical direction with the offense? Now, it it, it certainly will depend what what quarterback is playing there. Like, we'll have to see if they re-sign um, Jameis Winston. Um, certainly, I I would imagine. I um, Taysom Hill at that. I, I don't know. I don't what can know, you I can do with that? Right yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but no no like, question. yeah, like th- that's the next question. Is like, do we need? Do do, do, do we keep Carmichael and keep that? you know, general philosophy um, that the Saints have been into for, for 15 years, or do we think we need to go in a completely opposite direction? I mean, for the sake of my
2: podcast co-host, I kind of hope that they hire Joe Brady to run the offense. So <laughs> way you, <can> <laughs> you, you can just tie all of your football references together into one centralized location. Um, we will get elite take a dude out of Seth, oh, no matter how that turns out. <laughs> 100%. 100 percent like we joke we joke about our friend justice all the time because he lives within this one three-year period where oregon was really relevant you want (laughs) to do that you want to put that on steroids give seth the saints and joe brady together and the only thing that has ever happened in football happened between 2015 and 2019 um that's right but to me i I don't hate the idea of carmichael staying around you know obviously you have you already had a little bit of brain drain last year with losing mike lombardi um or joe lombardi excuse me to uh to the chargers so I would say that again. If you're talking about maintaining, right, and that's what I think that is going to be the biggest priority for New Orleans um, is maintaining. Given that they've got these openings so late in the cycle, I would really like—I would like to see them just try to keep as much of this boat together as they possibly can. If you've got to make pivots down the line, to me, that's the. That's the next coach, next regime thing. But if you're not clean in house, new GM, new head coach, new everything, then you might as well just keep, for continuity's sake, just keep your offensive and defensive coordinator there, even if you have to offer him the head coaching job, you know, and maybe just pay bump uh, for Dennis Allen. Whatever the case needs to be, just do that and keep all this stuff together and try to ride this out until your cap sheet is a little bit cleaner than what it is right now.
0: And and they, they've kept the front office intact with um... – Jeff Ireland seems like he's staying. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his first name, but Kai Harley, the capologist guy, seems like he's staying. And they've obviously, those two plus Mickey Loomis have obviously done a really good job uh, kind of turning the fortunes around of the Saints, like you said, Derek, in that 2017, 2017 uh, era. And, and yeah, I, I, to me, that I think that's the best. I think the continuity there, I, obviously I'm biased and I think I, you, you can't, I would imagine I'm, like, any fan of any team. Like, when you tell me a rebuild is coming, I'm like, no, hold on to this for as long as possible. And, like, yeah, like, I don't want to see Alvin Kamara go. He's my favorite player that's ever lived. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to see that happen. Um, or, or Michael Thomas or all those guys. There's just too much. I just feel like there's just too much talent to really blow it up now. And they were... Uh, you know, uh, uh, M- Matthew Stafford interception away from being in the playoffs again, even though the offense was bad. The offense cannot be as bad as it was last year, even without Sean Payton. Like, sorry, not possible. Uh, maybe it will be. Not
1: going to have to play five quarterbacks again.
0: Like it's Right, just, exactly. Right, right, Exactly. This is not. The injuries that tackle now, Terran Armstead is an interesting case. He's had some injuries issues recent uh, in the last few years, and and he's such a good tackle. But they might have to let him go, which would really suck. But yeah, besides that, I'm not ready for the for the rebuild. Okay, let's let's get on to um, the two that happened today, two hirings that happened today. Head coaches: Nathaniel Hackett going to the Broncos, uh, and Matt Eberflus. Matt, yeah, Matt Eberflus going to the Chicago Bears. I guess the the, the the bigger one for me and I think for, for for everyone on this podcast because of how we feel about Justin Fields is Matt Eberflus going to to the Bears. I guess my, my first question, Derek, I know you've had thoughts on this today because we've been talking is is this idea about having a young quarterback and then being like, We need an offensive play caller, an offensive coach to be the head coach of the team he's on do you think that's right do you think that's wrong like there probably is an extra value to
1: doing that but at the end of the day if the guy is who you think he is it's not going to matter like he's going to be good enough to make any offense work at at a certain point you're talking about the quarterback yeah the quarterback yeah the quarterback i mean and so like yeah the bears offense was a little clunky last year but also like he was a rookie and his his play style is kind of like conducive to being a little bit uh volatile and you just hope that that kind of tones down as he gets uh, his more play style
0: is conducive to being sacked that's what you were trying to say i mean yeah <laughs> 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 he he does like to hold on to the ball a little bit um
1: but ultimately like yeah if he's the guy who they think he was when they drafted him like it's not going to matter if they keep rotating um offensive coordinators like yeah if you hit on a guy who is like completely incompetent at his job that is going to hurt you. But if you can just get competent he's in the building and Justin Fields is the guy that we think he is, I think it's going to be perfectly fine. Um, I- I'm still not necessarily the biggest fan of, like, Iberflus as higher um i'm at least willing to like see how he fills out the coaching staff and i do think he did a better job with his defensive scheme this past year than years previous i thought in years previous it was the most coward scheme in the entire nfl <laughs> i think he did a, a lot, lot of better people who have
0: been on this podcast have said the same thing
1: Interestingly, it's just they were like i, I don't know bro That they ran way it too much just, like soft cover too kind it was of. fine for what it was but like it very clearly felt like it had a cap And at least this past year, he tried to, like, reach past it, and I think they kind of did. Um, Maybe that's just because they had a little bit more cornerback talent and and better play than they had previously. But, um, I mean, yeah, getting back to the point of, like, you have to get a a quarterback-minded and offensive play caller, blah, blah, blah. It's nice. It can help. It probably has some degree of value. I don't think that's the only way to build your team. I think it's fine if you have a superstar quarterback. He'll he'll figure things out.
2: Right. And to me, like the only the only scenario where you keep your play caller for multiple seasons typically is when that when the play caller is a head coach because if you have especially when you have a young quarterback if you have a young quarterback who succeeds and you're the offensive play caller you want to know what happens in 2 years you become a head coach if you have a young quarterback who is playing like shit you want to know what happens in 2 years you get fired like so the idea that like you cycle guys in and out at this position at this uh coaching position anyways because that's where everybody's looking to create head coaches out of as it stands now so I guess I don't put as much stock in that. Like, of course you want a good offensive coordinator. Everybody wants to have a good offense, but I don't think that the hiring of a defensive minded head coach is an end all be all. And the one thing that I will say for certain that that does give me some pause is the early reports that he's going to go get a guy that worked for the Eagles, you know, basically like trying to dig deep into that, like Frank Reich tree. Like, I don't, I don't know if I love that. Like, and I've, you know, I think Derek has been around or spoken to me enough times, like with how I feel about, the coaches that were on that 2017 Eagles team that won the Super Bowl. like, And I think that what's kind of been demonstrated is that off of Doug Peterson's staff, it was basically just him and Frank Reich that were doing the heavy lifting with the offense. And the rest of the guys are just kind of like around and know the system. I don't think that it carries over the same way you could say for like a Shanahan tree guy where like it's like system-based play calling basically or like series-based play calling. So if you kind of have a general understanding of the way that we want to call this when they do this, we want to do this when they do that. That, to me, makes a little bit more sense when you start digging deep down the tree than the Andy Reid, Doug Peterson guys. Um, So I, I do have a little bit of pause with that, but if we're just talking like general idea... If nothing else, what we saw in Indianapolis was, to Derek's point, we saw them play very soft in coverage. We saw them basically play to just not give up any explosive plays under any circumstances on the ground or through the air um, for like early in his tenure. And then the last couple of years, when we see that they built up some pretty good talent up front, all of a sudden he started cutting guys loose a little bit more. You saw a little bit more pressures. We saw a little bit more aggression in coverage um, and a little bit more trust of their guys. So, again, if we're talking about building up building up programs, building up an organization. I'm willing to listen and see what this looks like, Um, especially especially on the defensive end for them to take it away from Justin Fields because they tried to retread. We can't get Vic Fangio, but we want to get the closest thing we could to it. And I don't think that Desai was terrible, but they have talent holes. They just have like some major talent holes. And if you have major talent holes, you want to know what kind of defense really, really helps. One where you just get in four down lineman, you play soft coverage behind it. And we say <laughs> we're not giving up any big plays under any circumstances like that. You can kind of fake your way to being at least league average under those circumstances. So, you know, I'll be optimistic for at least you know, the time being.
0: I also think what the role of the offensive coordinator is has changed. And I think we'll talk about that. Um, not that I know this very in detail, but we'll talk about that when we talk about the Broncos head coach hire. But there's no more... Now, you, you made a good point about the Eagles compared to the Shanahan McVeigh people and Lafleur people. It's, it's become less about one guy controlling the whole thing. Right. So, like, it's not even about them saying, we're going to go get the best O.C., it's really about filling out a staff because what's happening now is football uh, play calling and football game planning at this level and, and I'm sure at the, at the major college football level as well has become about situations. And we have one guy for this situation. We have another guy for this situation. We have another guy for this situation. And I know teams that are, um, I can't name any examples off the top of my head, but I know teams that are saying, you call the plays in this situation on game day. You call the plays in this situation. Another guy calls the plays in that situation and so on and so forth. So I think there's enough of like, a, you know, let's say the Bears offense takes off. You know, they bring in the, 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 the guy from the Eagles. He has a good staff he leaves to be a head coach somewhere. Well, you, you can promote within because everyone was already tied to the system, right? There was no, like, uh, he was the assistant. He didn't do anything, blah, blah, blah. I think everyone is really, um, uh, t- you know, pulling in the same direction and giving, giving tasks, um, that work for them. And I think, I mean, I, I this is nothing to do with, with, any of the individual team, but I just think that's good for ownership of your job and, 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 and of the team and, and of your task and everything like that is giving giving people, giving assistant coaches more responsibilities that way and really and really doing it like that. And, and what we also see, and I think this has been going on in the NFL for a long time anyways, but we see a lot of guys who are like, wait, that guy's coaching the running backs? Wait, that guy's coaching the receivers? Like, I wouldn't picture that guy as a receiver coach. He never played a receiver or he's never been a receiver coach before. Well, what's happening, and again, I'm getting off on a little tangent here, but what, what's happening is all these players are in the offseason training with their in, with their coach with their guy that they pay quarterbacks are going there and the wide receivers are going to this guy in miami and and the d-line is going to this guy in a ranch in texas you know what i mean like all they're they're we're doing all this individual training so there's a lot i could be talking so much out of my ass right now there's a lot less there's a lot less technical training technique training at the nfl level you know, during the week, uh, you know, either either in 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 the in in the preseason and training camp, and then definitely on the season. So you end up with these guys who are like, and I, don't, I should probably look it up. Like what whatever um, Nathaniel Hackett's position was. I think he was the OC, and then they had a bunch of, and then he's bringing in his guy who was the receiver coach. They're all, all OCs. They're all mini OCs. That's the main thing that I'm trying to get at. Everyone on the offensive coaching staff is a mini OC, and and so I think that that's changed uh, over time. Uh, I think it's unfortunate to a certain degree that it doesn't it hasn't changed at the lower levels of football because I think that's that that can help a coaching staff. But um, yeah, I think that, that, that things are different, and I think that um, just because of one guy leaves because you had him for two years and the offense was successful i i think you can keep continuity going for sure just just by the way that everything's kind of parceled out now
1: good glad you guys agree <laughs> i mean i think that's especially <laughs> no i think that's especially true if you if the guys that like would be next in line for that position are like younger guys who don't have as much experience in other types of systems like if you have um I don't know. So like the opposite example would be um, Tennessee with Todd Downing. Like he's had experience doing his own thing for a long right. time. So like it's not the same when you try to just punch him into this hole. Um, kind of Raheem Morris even um, with the Rams. Mm-hmm. Like it's not the same when you do it with a veteran guy. But if you have a younger guy who's been your, uh, you know, an offensive assistant and then a quarterback's coach for three, four years with you, kind of like a Mike McDaniel or something, it's a lot easier to just bump him up the ladder because he's he's been your guy the whole time he knows exactly whatever you know lafleur whoever was ahead of him has been calling the whole time like that's just what that's all he knows at that point because he doesn't have enough experience to know otherwise
0: right uh so let's get on to the uh, to the broncos sorry who hired um nathaniel hackett to be their head coach and i think you know one of the things why i teased it before was and i don't know the, the exact details but the packers coaching staff was really you know even though lafleur is a head coach and play caller, they really divvied up their situations, and everyone was really handling a certain thing. I don't know exactly what Hackett was handling, whether it was red zone, whether it was coming out, whether it was, you know, third down, whatever it may be. Um, yeah. So he, that is. Um, so yeah, he's the head coach of the Broncos now. Uh, your guys' thoughts? I honestly, I don't know. I, I think it was very obvious that they were going to go offense. Yes. Because they just had to, it, it just been too long now too many cycles of them going through head coaches on on defense and not working and uh, now it, it had nothing to do with the fact that whether fangio or vance joseph was a bad coach they just couldn't find the quarterback unfortunately um and honestly if they can't still can't find the quarterback then not, Hackett's not going to work either but anyways i'm getting a few years ahead of myself um your thoughts on hackett and the fit here in denver
2: um to me, the way that I'm looking at this is just very basic because I don't know how much of a feel I have for who who Hackett is as a coach, just like what you were saying. Like, it was very obvious. It was telegraphed early um, as soon as basically we knew that Fangio was on the hot seat, that they were going to look in the offensive direction um, for their next, you know, for their next head coach. So... And I'm not surprised that it's Hackett. Again, we start talking about those extended coaching trees, somebody who has that kind of extended connection to the Shanahan tree, which we know is spread and worked in a lot of places. Um, And this also to me is signaling that they're going to be looking to uh, upgrade the quarterback position. Like, I don't think that I don't think you bring in a guy who has not been a play caller before to call plays for somebody who has already played quarterback in the NFL like I think they're going to try to create an ecosystem for a new fresh face to come in either that or you know we all have heard the rumors about Aaron Rodgers which is another conversation for another day so maybe they're bringing him in to have somebody who's familiar with the quarterback that they're pursuing. So to me, it's one of those two things. You're either going after the quarterback that he was just working with, or you're going to go draft a quarterback who has no prior experience in the NFL and try to incubate, you know, your head coach and quarterback that way. Um, you know, on the other side of it, my thing with guys that are, you know, on the younger end don't really have a bunch of like coordinator experience and things like that. Like I think it's just as fair to ask if an offensive minded guy can get somebody to figure out the defense as we do in the, in the inverse. Like, this defense does. If there was some attrition that was happening, I, I think they had a little bit of bad injury look losing both your inside backers to torn pecs in basically like two week span. Like that sucks and that does harm you a little bit. I think that their safety play will probably even out. It wasn't the best this year. I think it'll get a little bit better. I trust having, you know, Justin Simmons and, and uh, Kareem Jackson. Um, so Casey we'll
1: Stearns is a good young dude, too. Like,
2: right. Hey, that yeah. They have they have some interesting pieces, and I liked what Fangio was doing. Like to me, I'm kind of interested to see like is some of the progress that they were making and turning over some of the vet spaces that they had in the young guys is going to be continued under the next regime. Because I do like I like Chubb. I like all of the young pieces they have. I obviously think very highly of Justin Simmons. Like you can and Patrick Sertan is probably like my favorite rookie in the NFL right now. So you can do a lot. You can do a lot, but that does not mean that this is, like, an unfuck position. Like, you can absolutely go wrong with the defensive coordinator hire. So I'm really interested in looking at that. And then, obviously, from there, it's just what are you going to do in the offseason to address this hold that you have at quarterback?
1: Yeah, I think, too, like, with defense, like, to me, defensive – like, the difference between, like, a, a defensive guy uh, needing to find an offensive guy versus an offensive guy needing to find a defensive guy is that on offense, like, if you have stars, the goal – for the guy that you're bringing in on offense is to just make those stars work as much as possible. And you have to right. do a little bit of like fixing, you know, the issues that you have elsewhere, but it's mostly about how do I make my stars good? Defensively, I think it's the opposite. It, it's how do I get the guys who are ruining my stars yes. to not ruin my stars? Like how, how do I fix all these holes? Um, how, how do I plug all these gaps and that sort of thing? So um, I think it's honestly just like a completely different conversation. It's a completely different thing that you're looking for. And I think to your point, like, yeah, like, we can't only do this on one side where oh uh you know if you bring in a defensive guy what are we going to do on offense like it works both ways like you you still got to hire a guy at, at a position somebody's got to call the plays right <laughs> it's
0: not gonna figure itself out
2: right
0: uh all right so those are the the two that happened today uh one that we want to talk about a bit is the ravens uh firing their defensive coordinator uh wink martindale and it looks like it looks like Mike McDonald, the Michigan defensive coordinator, who was on the Ravens staff just a couple of years ago, probably coming back. Are you, are you thinking that he comes back now, I, I don't know why they fired Wink Martindale. Uh, someone who's an insider can probably tell you better than I can. Um, they, they Him and Harbaugh had worked together for a long time, and sometimes these things that happen, and they weren't good this year, even though there was you probably blame that on injuries.
2: I mean, honestly, um, they had an injury season from hell. Like. Yeah.
0: I just – I wonder – I guess my question to you guys is, what does the defense look like going forward because – we saw what Wink is in this hyper-aggressive, chaotic world that they live in. And then we thought that when Mike McDonald went from the Ravens to Michigan to be the DC, we were going to get that at Michigan. And instead, we got a more... I know sound isn't the right word, but like a more... Um, sound, let's say whatever sound. I don't mean it the way that I, that, that maybe you think I mean It's but, coming across right. Yeah, like a more um, like a more uh, balanced approach. A more balanced, I'll say, yeah, exactly. More balanced yeah.
1: is probably better. Yeah.
0: So then, if he goes back to the Ravens, is that the is that what we're getting? Like, is that the idea here? Like, okay, this type of defense that we've been running in Baltimore for all these years, um, we're done with it. Let's go back four down. Everyone's happy. Two high safeties. They rotate late. four to 5 two five. We're living in a in a clean world.
1: I think... I, I, I'll go ahead, Derek. I, I think Deontay can speak more intimately on like the particulars of what their scheme is, but the thing that I would be interested in it is like, did he not do all of that blitzing stuff that, that Martindale is because he had two first-round edge rushers? Of course. You don't right. have to if you have those guys. <laughs> like, You just don't have to send that kind of pressure. If you have two guys, you know you can get home. Um, so I think that I'll would also, be the, the thing I'm curious about.
0: The other thing I'll add is going from Michigan, going from Don Brown, who was that chaotic, blitz-heavy guy, there might have been some sort of, uh, like, mandate to say, hey, like, I don't, like, yet yeah, you're coming here, Mike McDonald, but we're, we we can't be doing that anymore, so I don't care if that's what you wanted to do, because that's what you were with in Baltimore, like, we, we're not doing that no more.
2: Well, it's funny you bring that up because that's exactly the way I was thinking about it. Like, the more I think about it, I'm like, oh, I see what you did, John Harbaugh. You sent your favorite assistant to go do the exact same thing you're about to ask him to do in Baltimore. Hey, go replace the nutcase who wants to blitz on every down and see if you can bring some order (laughs) into this building. And if you can, then I'm just going to yank your ass right back from little brother. And that's exactly what it looks like. Like to me, and I do think that Derek, you make a great point because not only do you have like, First round caliber edge rushers. They're both like, at least at the college level, pretty good run defenders in their in their own right. And that does open up the door for you to say, hey, we can live in four down and play with two high safeties and not get killed in either direction. Like, right? Like it's not that we're playing the cover zero max fit stuff where like Michigan State, where every back in Narduzzi's days, where everybody's pressing and is basically cover zero with the four man pass rush. Like there is a little bit of. That kind of man match quarters esque, you know, who's in the fit, who's out of the fit stuff that exists there. So I do think that if you're to me, if I'm John Harbaugh, I'm looking at Dennis Allen, I'm looking at the 49ers and D'Amico Ryans. I'm looking at these guys who have found this way to be able to apply some of the too high stuff that you're seeing without it coming at the expense of the pass rushers that you have on roster. And they have some guys who are twitchy, you know, they have some guys who are young, some guys who've been productive. Like I still think if they were to retain Justin Houston, I still think that he can give something. He's obviously just not the player that he was prior, but I still think that he's valuable. Um and they got young athletic backers. Like I would like to see, I can understand having a Patrick Queen and saying for a guy that's as athletic as he is, And that we've seen when he plays downhill is at his best. That's his best college tape by far. You know, we really haven't had an opportunity to do that because they're so blitz heavy. That means you're asking your linebackers who aren't blitzing to cover for everything else that's happening in the defense. I think that going to this kind of system allows you to probably get a clearer picture of what you do and don't have up front. And then, you know, to me, the rest of it is like, hey, let's get our DBs healthy and then see if we play with the split safety stuff, whether or not that actually helps us out in coverage. And then if not, then maybe you can address that position later. But I do think that this will help some of the issues that they had up front, especially in the second half of the season where the bottom kind of fell off.
0: The Jaguars keep dicking around. However, I th- I think we are assuming that we're going to get a Byron left, which coach Jaguars team now who the GM is probably remains to be seen but it seems like it's going to be Brian Leftwich, and I think a lot of people like this fit um you know we don't know exactly what type of offense he is going to run but I think a lot of people a lot of people but when I say a lot of people I mean our friend Nate Tice uh likes uh the Brian Leftwich fit with Trevor Lawrence I do too however I keep thinking about this and I'm like man I, I almost want to give Trevor Lawrence more of a spreadier type of attack rather than that downhill play action get vertical type of game and I say that only because if Trevor is the type of quarterback then I think we all think he will become man let him move in the pocket right like like, I, like, let him let him be free in the pocket. Um, you know, drop back, uh, six man protection, five man protection. Let him move. That that's his best trait. His movement in the pocket is is one of his best traits, if not his best trait. And I think you can be a little spreadier, um, and and be able to get 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 the job done because I think that that utilizes his best trait. Now, if he's if he's just an elite player, if, if Trevor becomes an elite player. It don't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what we're talking about. Like, it don't matter. Put him wherever. But um so like as much as I like the Arians left with leftwoods offense, and especially as they've incorporated some of the some of the Patriots stuff, which you would imagine he would also bring now that he now that he's been involved with him and Brady. Um, I love that offense. I just think I'm okay, I'm okay with him being a little more spread. I would kind of be cool with with anything, and
1: I think that's kind of just Trevor Lawrence is that he's just that good that it's like you can kind of fit him in into almost anything. I don't think you want to make him like super spread Patrick Mahomes. I think there is like a limit to where you probably get diminishing returns there. But if you can get closer to like the way that like Frank Reich can kind of blend spread stuff with some of his more power stuff, like that's ideal to me. Like that's where that's where you are stealing
2: the take right. And it's funny, like, and obviously, like, these two are just going to be linked for their entire football lives, no matter what. But to me, if you take what I think the Bears are trying to do with Iberflus and the right guys, and you take what the Jaguars are trying to do with Arians and Fangio, and you swapped them, I'm, like, over the moon with both situations. Like, I would love to see Justin Fields in a very downhill, vertical, max protect, get you all these over routes and verts.
1: Make Justin Fields Carson Palmer who can run. That's how you make him that good. Like that's what he's gonna do. You throw those ten yard outs, those dig routes, take all the like
2: peak Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh under Arians. Like yes, give me that. Give me the. 12 step drop back with two (laughs) hitches, and you're taking the top all the way off the defense. That's what I want. Like, so if we swap those two, I'm probably happiest. But again, we're talking about guys who I think exist at that like top, top tier of talent for young quarterbacks. So if it works, it works and it's going to work because these guys are just freak men, you know? So on a certain level, I I don't have any protests. I, I will say that if the rumors are true, that he's also bringing Adrian Wilson and Vic Fangio with him, as like the entire regime, we're we're really cooking. Okay, we're talking about some potential for a very quick turnaround. Like, and the one thing I will say about Arizona for all its warts, for all its warts, one thing I will say is that they hit the draft hard with a bunch of athletes. When they go into free agency, they're going to get all the fast guys. They want all the height, weight, speed guys. And to me, if you're approaching the Jags, who have just been an absolute tire fire over the course of this year. Just, hey, we're just going to go get all the freakiest guys that exist right now, and we're all just going to take the top off the, take the top off of defense and we're blitzing every down. That's another approach to saying, hey, we'll, we at least have an identity on both, both ends of the ball. Um, so I'm really interested to see if that's how this works out. You know, we'll see, you know, whether or not they're able to close this deal with Byron Leftwich, but it does seem like all indications are that this is going to be closed and the entire regime is already coming in the door.
1: I feel like they might have to take a psycho approach too, particularly on defense, at least for like this next year, because like talent wise on, on the front, dude, they don't have you ain't fixing that in a year. They have no, they have Josh Allen. That's it, that's like, it. Nobody else should be starting in the NFL on that defensive line. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I think until they fix that, they kind of have to. I mean, that's kind of how the Cardinals fixed their problem. I mean, they had JJ Watt and like Zach Allen is like kind of nice, but they were kind of fixing their interior problems by yes. just being psychos. <laughs> and I think that that's kind of what the Jaguars would, would maybe need to lean into.
2: In a lot of ways, it almost sucks that they were so bad this year because they're going to be in a draft position that almost doesn't allow you to go get the kind of players in this draft that I think they need to get. Like the value for, for their picks based on where they're, where they're selecting, it doesn't really lend itself to addressing the positional needs that I think that they have. Um, So, yeah, like you were saying, Derek, go be psychoman. Just get all the height, weight, speed guys you can find. And this is going to be – this is a two- to three-year process anyways. because I think a lot of their problems, you're not turning over in a single offseason no matter what your approach is.
0: Um, Last one is actually Dan Quinn going back to Dallas. For me, I think that's great. I think the defense was perfect for their their guys that they had this year. And obviously, like, Micah Parsons – you know, if they don't have Michael Parsons, I probably don't say that. But, you know, just perfect um, for what they wanted to do. Um, probably need to find a better man coverage corner. But besides that, um, I think this is great for Dallas. I really think it's great.
2: I have no complaints, honestly.
0: Like, I, I don't have
2: a bunch to add. Like, people know how I feel about Dan. I love Dan Quinn. Absolutely love Dan Quinn. One of the few guys off the Legion of Boom, Legion of Boom system that I really, really enjoy watching his brand of defense And like you said, it fits. Even if they they lose some guys up front, which I think that they're probably trending in that direction because things are going to start getting a little prohibitively expensive for some of their vets, I still trust what this defense is supposed to be at its peak because you have Micah Parsons in the middle of this thing. Like, the fact that you were able to just go out and get another early-round linebacker and this one finally hits, now the doors are open to be able to address the rest of the stuff. I think if they can get... Another DB, like honestly, I don't even have that much beef with Trevon Diggs as a number two corner. But I think if you can go get another DB who can really play in cover one, like now, like I really think that that defense has a has the ability to sustain itself year over year.
1: I mean, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to add either. All I would say is that like the it seemed like a lot of the talk around Quinn this off was like you don't want to hire him because he's a retread, blah 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 blah. But like he's been an awesome defensive coordinator at every stop both in college and in the nfl and his tenure as a head coach with the falcons like yeah it kind of it kind of went down the drain but like it was a good it was good consistently hired good people like obviously kyle shanahan but then like having sark after like sark was a good offensive coordinator the problem ultimately was just like they didn't you know fill the cupboards correctly and that kind of falls on dan quinn which sucks but like I thought people were really too critical of, of the possibility of rehiring Dan Quinn as a head coach this year. I think at some point he'll get another shot, and I think
0: I might be pretty excited depending on where, where that team is down yeah, the line.
2: 100%.
0: Okay. I was told that on the podcast earlier this week, my Manscaped ad read was the, the worst ad read in the history of ad reads. This right, is where I, I slowly it. roll away from my... <laughs> Take offense to it, but... We will learn, we will do better, uh, one step at a time, um, and so this week's ad read will be read entirely, no jokes, no, no, I'm not changing any words, I'm just here to promote the, the beautiful um, products that Manscaped uh, presents uh, to us. So, <coughs> roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. Valentine's Day is just around the corner and our sponsors at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This V-Day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use promo code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. The holidays went by so quickly, did you remember to take care of your package with the best tools for the job? The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is just a thing every guy needs in their life to make make each and every day just a little more special. I'd like to propose making February 13th a national holiday as National Shave Your Balls Day. Who's with me? Anybody? I think this is the one holiday that men and women can get behind at the same time. Manscaped created their products for a night just like this and will make your V-Day date say, wow, great set of balls you have there. So get 20% off and free shipping with promo code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use promo code PFF. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with manscaped this valentine's day season all right ladies and gentlemen it is time to talk about the conference champion don't don't look at me Ugh, and i hope you weren't I, looking at me when i was doing the. no I,
1: i'm very glad that i had the lck games on the, <laughs> for the
2: people who listen to this podcast with headphones in i'm so sorry that you get that sound being directly into your brain nobody deserves to have to hear that
0: conference championships uh, we had the best divisional round of all time last week. Uh, hopefully we have two excellent games. Uh, Chiefs-Bengals, Rams-49ers. Let's start with the Chiefs when they are on offense. So I'm watching the game. So if you go on my Twitter, you can look at, um, I posted two heat maps. So the targets from Patrick Mahomes, 2020 and 2021. And one of the things you see is a lot more a lot more heat Over the middle part of the field between 5 and 15 yards or something like that. And when you go and look at how they played against the Bengals in week 17, I believe, they made the whole thing about targeting the Mike linebacker. They knew they were going to get cover two, which is what every team plays against them. And when you get cover two or even quarters, you can put the Mike in some binds. And if you don't have Fred Warner, what we're going to talk about, and you have you know Jermaine Pratt instead, like you can you can, that's tough on a defense. And I to me, I'm like man, that's where they gotta keep attacking. They had a whole bunch of plays where they put put the Mike in a high low, and it worked for them. And and the opposite is the Bengals saying, hey, every time that we played anything other than quarters or, or cover two, they. Patrick Mahomes shredded us like he does to everyone else. So how about we just never play anything but that? No man, no cover three, uh, no blitz, nothing. Cover two quarters, that's it.
1: I think that what you're talking about too with like the change in his heat map in that five to 15, you know, middle of the field area, it's like, it's also, it's not just a product of the fact that they're seeing a lot more two high coverages. It's a a product of the way teams are playing their two high coverages against him. If you're playing cover two or quarters, you can be aggressive and have those guys nail down on crossers, nail down on dig routes, um, all that sort of stuff. You don't want to do that against Patrick Mahomes because the whole point of playing these two high structures is that you have bodies deep. And so that's, I think, why they transition to a lot more of these routes is that Mahomes knows that if, if you're not going to want to nail down on this stuff, well, then I can beat you under your safeties and stuff like that. So I, I think unless, you know, these Bengals safeties are really, really good. So it's possible that they have a great day and, and can can nail down on that. But like... It's hard to beat Patrick Mahomes like that for four quarters, man. Like to to have to play that that little vertical game of, of do I play deeper, do I do I nail down on Patrick Mahomes for four quarters? Good luck, man. Good luck.
2: I'm just after last week. I'm not in a position to say that any kind of defensive approach is going to work against this offense. Like it's back, guys. This is what it was supposed to look like all the time. Um, And I think that, honestly, now that... And it's so funny how much clearer of a picture we get once all the stupid turnovers are out the way. It's like, oh, yeah. If you're just going to make... If you're going to make this offense throw the ball shorter, all that means is that now you got to go tackle Tyreek Hill in space. And he's probably working underneath against your poor safety or your poor overhang or your Mike Backer, if it's Travis Kelsey. And I'm going to take that matchup 100% of the time. Um, So I will say that, like... Especially if they're not able to generate pressure, like uncomfortable kind of pressure, not just flush the guy out of the pocket, because it's not enough against Patrick Mahomes to just make him bail out the back door of the pocket. If you are not actually able to get a body near him to affect his platform on the throw, then it don't it don't matter what right. kind of coverage shell you're playing behind it, because there's always he's always gonna be able to create enough time and he can throw off platform so well. That he can get the ball to his two best guys against whatever coverage shell you think you're going to
0: play. There was one play in the Bengals game, the Chiefs-Bengals game, that had me worried going forward because they basically, I think they were running that classic Bills play where they get the two guys kind of crossing deep and then there's a post run on the outside. And, and, you know, the Bills had done a good job um, when they got man coverage to get one of those two crossing routes open. You know, the safety leans one way, we throw the other way. The safety leans, you know, in a one-high defense. What you saw in this game, and it happened in one play, and I think Mahomes actually got sacked. But if you had time, what happened was the first safety has leverage on the deep, first deep crosser to his side. He jumps on it. He nails down like you're talking about. The opposite safety has leverage on the crosser that's coming from the slot on his side. He nails down on it, and it leaves a post. With pretty good leverage on the cornerback on the backside, and you that, that you know what I mean? Like Mahomes will hit that, like obviously, right? We know that he's too good um, uh, to not hit that. So that scares me a bit. I think that what you're saying about getting him to the ground, I mean, this has been a theme uh, for the past uh, couple months on this podcast. talking about hey, like all these new quarterbacks, like gotta get them. They will make plays against you if you do not rush them correctly and get them to the ground. We saw it against Buffalo and obviously you know uh, you you know, I'm talking about the SEC Championship game with Bryce Young uh, two, two months ago so you, you gotta get these guys to the ground. One of the things that's changed I think also in the Chiefs offense that I think has been really cool is and I don't have the numbers in front of me and I wish I did Patrick, sorry K- Travis Kelsey lining up in that isolated receiver spot was such a great use of him against one high defenses.
2: Yes. I was going to make that point. Yeah.
0: Now what you're seeing, and again, like, like I said, the, the last game I watched for the chiefs, obviously I watched the bills game and then, and then watching them against, um, against the Bengals again. Now he's playing back in the slot more and they're getting him vertical down the middle of the field because it, Again, who's our best player uh, or who's our like biggest um, receiver like over the middle of the field? It is Travis Kelsey. Let's get him there. And again, we can high load the mic and do all that stuff. and I think that's been a really good change for them.
2: I mean to me like and I'm looking at this now, so I may have to vamp a bit as i as I talk through this, but, just watching their share of routes that they're targeted on based on whether or not you're playing like cover two and quarters versus when you're playing cover one and cover three, like the adjustment for them was just taking Kelsey and Hill off the vertical tree. Like the percentages drop, you know, significantly and basically everything is working underneath. And like to me, the, the hallmark of this offense is not just what Mahomes can do with his arm. It's what their receivers are able to do after the catch. Right. Huh. Like, and we obviously see like the ultimate manifestation of that in that, Ridiculous touchdown to uh, Tyreek Hill at the end of the end of regulation in the bills game. But to me, bringing them down to that intermediate area, like Seth was talking about now, you're not only, you're not only giving some relief to your two best players. You're also letting your quarterback know that I'm not going to put you in a position where you have to beat this defense with your arm. And that to me is a big, big change in what they did like when they finally caught heat again in the second half of the year. And then obviously we saw that last weekend against Buffalo in the second half in particular, like that ability to just say, hey, you want to take away the verticals? Fuck it. Have it. We'll take, you know, we'll take everything else underneath. And their guys are just good enough with their improvisational skills once they get the ball in their hand to be able to create the offense to make up for the fact that they're not as vertical and not as explosive against these split safety defenses. Um, So, Derek, I guess the one thing I, I would pitch to you kind of turning the page and looking at, you know, Cincinnati's defense, like. What does the pathway to success look for them if it's not going to be by coverage? Like, is there enough in personnel? Is there enough in pass rush? Do they have a pathway that's not going to be them having to outscore these guys?
1: I mean, personnel in the back end, no. Like, they have good safeties. and I trust Bates in particular. He's been red hot since the start of the playoffs, but, like, you know, Cheeto Wuzie is, is nice, but like their corners, man, I just do not think they're going to be able to run with these guys. Yeah. They're just not. Because even, even so like. So don't.
0: Split cover too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, that's like that like too. That's but like, all can do.
1: even even in space, though, it, like if you get these guys in space <laughs> yeah. with the ball yeah. in their hands, it's bad news. Is yeah. Uziere going to be able to catch yeah. Hill or Hardman? Even that's the thing. It's like they're tertiary players, right? Are incredibly fast too, and they're 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 really good in space. So like, I think that's going to be the biggest problem for them. So I think it kind of has to be a pass rush thing. And I'm going to steal a take here from I don't know if it was Ben. Or Mina, or both uh, on their podcast that they did recently. But, like, the difference between what we saw last week with the Bills is like, they're a finesse front. Those dudes are speed rushers. They're shooting through gaps. They're trying to get, like, directly to the quarterback. When you have Mahomes, who's, like, a really good athlete for his position, has a great feel for that, he's just going to get out of the pocket like he did all those times in that game. The Bengals are more of a length and strength. We're going to push the pocket, the Patriots style. We're going to crush you. We're going to suffocate you. That in a way, gives more time within the structure because you're not getting immediate guys that are free-running at Mahomes. But like... That's the way that you have to do it. If you can hold on to coverage for, you know, two and a half seconds, crush the pocket and make him uncomfortable, that I think is the only way defensively that this team can win. And I think they kind of do have the personnel for it. Like Hendrickson is perfect for that. I think their interior guys, when when they're on in pass rushers, are not like, you know, they're not going to immediately win a two-way go, but they're going to crush the pocket on you. And I think that's really the only way that you're going to be able to hold this team under like 40, um,
0: I think, in this game. The the Chiefs remind me of what I had said about Alabama um before the national championship game. Kind of where I was I kept saying like college football can't let this Alabama team win the national championship because it was not the top Alabama teams of the Nick Saban era and they were and it was about to happen. And with the Chiefs it's similar in that the NFL had a chance to end this. Yes. They had a big chance to end this and and you know beat them in the games where the offense was struggling in the middle of the season the giants game and this game and the, you know like all these games uh where the defense was the only thing holding this whole chiefs team together and they couldn't do it now they're hosting another damn afc championship game and like you said mahomes is figuring it out again becoming the best player in the league again that, that's the difference is that this is not even to take
1: away from Bryce Young. He's a fantastic college quarterback. He cannot develop enough within a season to fix Alabama's problems. And like yes. he, he's, he might develop fine like down the line and be a good pro, all that. But like he's, he's like a 20-year-old kid trying to figure out like his first year as a starter. You're just not going to get that kind yeah. of development within a year. When you have Patrick Mahomes, who's been to three straight AFC championships before this, has won an MVP, has won a Super Bowl, you can get that kind of development over literally eight weeks. Right, especially when
2: everybody is playing you the same way. All you
1: do it is just logging reps. Oops. at that this point. exactly. Problem. He's too good to play that long against something and not figure it out. Yeah,
0: he like this is the problem with the with they gave you all the Chiefs' offense gave you all of these issues when you played one high and the issues we've talked about for for ages of these deep crossing routes and Kelsey as the isolated receiver and you couldn't win one on ones with him uh, against him. Blah blah blah. And like, so everyone says, okay, we're going to go too high. But the issue is, man, NFL, most NFL defenses when they play too high are not pattern matching defenses. And there, and there's a reason for that because they're so, so afraid. We've talked about this, me and Deontay, a lot. And I don't know if this is entirely true, but most NFL defensive coordinators are so afraid of accidentally, quote unquote, getting... Travis Kelsey, or getting a slot receiver, getting a tire kill, matched up against a bigger body. Because it's all about matchups. But you can't play man against them because they're too good. You can't play cover three against them because they're too good. And now you're seeing just a lot of cover two. A lot of straight-ass cover two. And it took them some time, but now, like I said, and like you said, Derek, they're figuring out this. And... The only way, to, honestly, like I, I'm not saying go play man match cover two or man match, you know, cover four stuff, unless you play dime, right? But then you don't want to play dime because their 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 offensive line is so much better than it was last year. So it's, they're just again. I mean, the NFL you're had right. Chance to what end you're this.
2: describing is that now everybody is right back having the exact same issues with stuff in this offense that they did. It's just now it's at a split safeties instead of single high. <laughs>
0: It's they did bad. this in half a season, man. This shit is—it's it's
2: fake. It shouldn't
0: be happening. Okay, let's flip over to—we uh, don't have a lot of time left. Let's flip over to the Bengals' offense when they play against the Chiefs. You know, I hate to like to like drill this down to a very simple thing when it comes to the Bengals' offense, but you guys know what I'm about to say. If they can hit outside shots, whether it's back shoulder or over the top to either Higgins or Chase, the offense moves. The second they play- can't do that. It's a players offense. It's not like yes. a system offense. It is no. a
1: player's offense. They are calling players to they are calling plays to get the ball to a player. They're not it's not Shanahan ball. Like it's not like we're doing, you know, this whole this equals this, this turns
0: into this. No. They are no. Calling, yeah. they're, they're calling numbers. So what happened against the Titans last week couldn't happen. Didn't happen. And the Titans do a lot of good things on defense. They they had some really funky rotations to get into too high to to deal with those. Um to kind of essentially double the outside receivers while taking some stuff away in the middle of mm. the way that they were rotating, and then obviously mm. the pass I wonder, rush.
2: I wonder if there happens to be a defensive coordinator in this AFC Championship <laughs> game who
0: also likes to do similar things. I, you know what? Rewatching that one in week, you know, the, the Bengals offense versus the Chiefs, there were a lot of opportunities to take one-on-one shots. They did it, and they completed them, and they won the game. So you got to take it away somehow. And you gotta get think- the pass rush going, which they can because the Bengals' offensive line is fucking just disgusting. To me,
2: if I'm if I am Steve Spagnuolo, you will never see me playing with the single high safety ever again against Joe Burrow. Sorry, buddy, but you you like to me, and this is why. While I think that this will be a very entertaining game, and you can sell me on it being competitive, and maybe even Cincinnati having an opportunity to win late, like. But the styles making fights thing is just so particular to me when you're talking about the Chiefs, especially like against the Bengals. Like when I watch the Bengals play, there's nothing that makes me think that Steve Spagnuolo is losing sleep as far as like, oh, well, I can't run my best stuff against this. Like a lot of this spread out, I want to be vertical stuff is exactly what Spags likes to see when he trusts that his offense is going to go give him 28 to 35 points in a game. Um, So I, I do, I'm almost more interested in, whether or not Zach Taylor is going to be able to make games ugly in the ways that they've won so far in the playoffs. Like to me, the the roadmap is to play the exact same way it was against the Raiders and the Titans. Like, even if it's got to be ugly as hell, and obviously you don't want your quarterback being contacted as much as he's been so far in the playoffs, but it, you just got to be able to grind away possessions and points. Honestly, like, to me, this is not a shootout game, and I'm sure that there are a lot of people, especially Cincinnati fans, who are looking at this like opportunity to get back to scoring and doing what we do best. I don't know if that back and forth is what you want, and I honestly don't trust. And this has been me all year, so maybe I'm just an idiot, and I'm just gonna have to bow to you know the reality of what's happening. The bad, the bad variance game is coming. It's been, to me, it's been coming all year. I'm not calling it to happen in the conference championship game, but I would not be shocked at all if all of, if the same way that it's been, you know, in the first half of the Titans game and what it was in the second half of the Raiders game where you just can't get any of those downfield connections. I wouldn't be shocked if that happens this
1: week. I also just think that Spags and this defense is more capable of pushing the scale of volatility into their favor than the past two defenses that the Bengals have played because if we assume the Bengals are a very it's like a coin flip offense you're getting sacked or you're getting 30 yards right but if you're the chiefs and you have spags who's consistently really good at um, getting pressure looks really consistently good at getting into funky too high looks and, and really making the quarterback think a half second uh longer than he wants to you're tipping the scale of volatility in your favor um and i just have to imagine that having already seen burrow Right. Spaggs is gonna have something up his sleeve where this is gonna be really, really hard for the Bengals offense.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's a tough one. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that they played a lot of seven man protection, tried to get that ninety-nine yeah. nine doubles yeah. going, throw it this up on the be, outside.
2: Yeah, this will be uh, the week for, for CJ Uzama to just to stay in the backfield with, yeah. with Joe Mixon all day.
0: Okay, before we get to the um, nfc championship game just a reminder that if you want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast whether it's football success or financial savvy winning starts with asking us questions would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with al michaels onsen and a football about and need to know for your financial future western and southern is teaming up with pfs very own chris collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your financial and fantasy scoreboards Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500. Coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collins with podcasts and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash feast, westernsouthern.com slash feast. And if you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Okay. So energy championship game, Let's start with when the Rams' offense has the ball. Um, week 10, I believe, they play the 49ers. This is, I think, the first week without uh, Robert Woods. OBJ just trying to figure it out. You know, his first game, there was a lot of uh, Ben Skoranek in that game. Disgusting. There was not a lot of Tyler Higby, which we've seen recently. So I kind of th- – I look at that and I kind of throw that out. And then they came with a, with a, with a real – this real Rams team came. Uh, well, they, they invited the 49ers to SoFi Stadium in week 18, took that big lead, and just squandered it. 17-0 lead, squandered it. Um, do we think that there's a continuation, especially the way the 49ers defense has looked, from that second half in that week 18 game against the Rams? Do we think their success continues um, through the Cowboys game, through the 49ers game, into this week?
2: I will say, like when we talk about recipes for success, like I will say that the 49ers defense is constructed and plays out in a way that's probably best for trying to create issues for what Los Angeles does best, like in terms of not blitzing, right? We're not really blitzing they can live with stopping the run out of split safeties, which allows you to play it on early downs more often. And because they're linebackers and we've talked about this set are like basically perfect in how they drop into zone coverage. They pass off these underneath routes. They're able to give body presence all the way out towards the sideline. If they need to like, it's, it's, it's a great way to protect your corners. Um, and I just trust what they've been doing. And if they get any semblance of just like regular pass rush production, Like this is that is the recipe to create a bunch of problems for this Rams offense. Um, So I am kind of interested to see how that plays out. A lot of this to me is going to come down to not just what Nick Bosa does, but whether or not you can get that Arden Key performance. Can you get Eric Armstead, especially, you know, against their interior linemen, creating problems in a way that really um, that really, uh, you know, that, that the Rams haven't seen a whole bunch of like I thought that they handled Tampa Bay really, really well up front. You know, even on the pressures that they gave up, they weren't always like high quality pressures, you know, and and Stafford was able to work pretty comfortably. And then what we know of Tampa Bay is that they bring pressure and what Stafford's been doing is just busting up blitzes left and right. So if I'm if I'm San Francisco, I'm walking into this game feeling like, hey, we're in a position to do the things that have worked throughout the season. It's not going to take some wild change up in order to make it happen. Um, and I so for that reason, I do think that they're going to be able to compete in this basically from start to finish, because I don't think that L.A. is going to have the same kind of ability to get explosive plays the way that they were able to, you know, in the division round.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, like you mentioned, the, the week 10 or whatever, the first time they faced that game's not real. Um, and then the second game was obviously a lot closer to me, kind of like you were mentioning, Deontay. It just comes down to the front, man. And, and I think to me it's like twofold. Um, in the pass rush, I, I think they're going to be able to get home. Bosa's going to be able to get home, um, and then I think I trust their interior guys a lot. They're, the thing is, too, compared to Tampa, San Francisco's defensive interior guys are a lot more explosive. They're a lot yes. faster. Um, yes. That's not to take... like the, the Tampa Bay guys are good at what they yeah, do. They're <laughs> yeah, they're great. Yeah, they're fantastic. It's just a different kind of thing, um, and I think with just... I don't know. I, I don't really trust this Rams interior. I, I know... They've had some good games, but they've had some horrific moments, particularly against San Francisco. And I think that that's probably going to happen again. And then I think the other side of it is that in the run game, the way that San Francisco handled the run game against the Rams the last time around, I thought was fantastic. Because the Rams are still very much like they want to get to the edge and they want to do that as much as possible, even though it's not the same, you know, everything is wide zone into play action. That's still kind of the core of what they do in the run game. And I thought the way San Francisco handled them was like, all right, if you are stretching the play wide a little bit, we're going to have all our defensive linemen. We're going to shoot them back a gap and we're going to have our linebackers play over the top fast. And we're just going to create a bunch of mess. And because we are way more explosive up front than you are, and we have good and fast linebackers, we're going to be able to to catch you on everything. And they did. And I think that's probably something that they're going to be able to do again in this game. So.
0: R- rewatching watching the Packers offense against the 49ers defense last night on the Zoom uh, with all my football friends. Uh, not you, Derek, though. Um, our, our, our friend at Coaches High School in Pennsylvania, Brendan Clark, was talking about how Fred Warner I – didn't, I didn't realize this at all. Fred Warner is so good at taking on blocks, but having his eyes um, past the block. And, like, understanding, like, it's, it's almost like he doesn't even care that there's a blocker coming. He's just going to shed him, and that's it. Uh, and it's unbelievable to watch. Like, if you have a chance to go, you know, maybe look for that when you guys are watching the game on, on Sunday. He just is an incredible player against the run, and then he makes everything go in the passing game. Uh, it's unbelievable how everything works for him. Him being really good. Allows them to play a lot of weak side rotations when they do spin the safeties down. Because when you rotate the weak safety down outside of the wheel linebacker, like Joey Greenlaw or whatever, that pushes Fred Warner to the strong side a bit, pushes him out wide. That puts him in space against trips. Don't matter. He's too good. Don't matter. Chasing down bubble screens. Uh, sticking to stick nods, like, a, well, that's unbelievable. And so now you can you can be in all these different worlds. And if you wanted to rotate strong, and that means he's got to carry vertically on, on a cover three scenario, no problem. Like, you can just do anything you want, and you can play cover two. And there's some snaps where, um, two snaps that I can think of, one against the Rams and then one against the Packers, where they're playing cover two in the red zone. And the safety that is um, kind of like to his side uh the side that he opens to and covers the receiver he don't give a fuck about the number three receiver he's like fred's got it fred's got it up and down and back and i don't care i can just focus on the two the two other receivers to my side fred's got it no problem it just allows him to do so much he is such a pleasure to watch and a he... very valuable middle linebacker <laughs> valuable uh, yeah because here's here's the thing
1: like cover well I guess defense in general but like a lot of coverage is just about like where if you have your best guy how much space can he create for everybody yes. else uh where yes. you're well you're like condensing the space for everybody else because if he takes up so much everybody right. else has to cover less like outside of Jalen Ramsey man like I don't know how many dudes give you more of that in coverage than Fred Warner and it's so weird to say for a linebacker um I guess we did do this you know kind of recently with Bobby Wagner a few years ago but like I just don't know how many more coverage defenders are better than him. And, like, yeah, he's not going to match up one-on-one with Mike Evans or whatever. Like, that's not what you're doing. But just what he's giving you in terms of changing, like, fundamentally changing the space, there's, like, four guys who give you more. And that's it. If that's, like, it's literally Ramsey and maybe one or two other guys.
2: Like, it's a very simple question to answer for me. In what other world, for what other team could Jimmy Ward be your best defensive back and you're playing in the NFC Championship game? unless you have a freak like Fred Warner, like it, it's really that simple. Like in, and I, and I'm glad that you framed it this way because it's almost hard to conceptualize for some people that a middle linebacker is protecting your corners, but that's legitimately what's happening because he can do so much. Like they, they were basically able to take away everybody who was not Devonte Adams last week off, off of that, you know, and obviously part of that is, is um, Aaron Rodgers not wanting to work in between the hashes a whole bunch, but there's a reason for that and that's because 54 is in between the hashes and i'm
1: not throwing the ball where that guy is at you know if if an offense is running a bunch of vertical stuff at you and you're the outside corners you don't feel pressure to need to squeeze stuff inside because you know he's taking it away like those dig routes he's going to perfectly carry the seam route up until he knows where that dig is breaking and he's gonna he's gonna melt right into that window and it's gone and the corner doesn't have to think about that at all there's nobody else like that like there just is not i have a simple question
2: for you in terms of classifications derek is this okay. a goblin a ghoul a gremlin <laughs> where where are
1: we where are we placing <sighs> mr warner here i almost think you know i think ghoul might be the best because
0: he's yeah, talk like your way through this it takes yeah, time.
1: i'm trying i'm trying <laughs> so like uh, to me a, a goblin is more like it's more of like a physical presence and it's not to say that Warner is not like a physical presence to me a ghoul is more like it, you can't even conceptualize where or how it is affecting you like it's right. hard to like see and quantify it but it's there that and it's ruining your day uh, he is uh, a ghoul
0: <laughs> that was as good we should end the show before we get on to the rams <laughs> offense uh the 49ers offense because that was as good no you're right like you don't realize just like a ghoul, just like a ghost, you don't realize that he's, he's affecting He's like you. a ghost, dude. Like, you, yeah. you
1: cannot see what he's doing, but he's doing it. Like it's, yeah. You can't put it on a number. I mean, it comes up for, like, the defense as a whole. But for him, it doesn't come up. But he's doing it.
0: <laughs> hey, we got to get out of here. But we actually do have to talk about the 49ers offense.
2: Uh Fuck. I was gonna say I, I can kick this off because I have a very simple take and this is for over like a few years of watching Kyle Shanahan in big games and like it, it can almost turn very basketball esque in a sense and I said this in our group chat but nobody is about to touch this football except for Brandon iuk <laughs> Elijah Mitchell, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle. Nobody else is touching the football and grapple is
0: say- not gonna they're not gonna
2: if they could go out, if George Kittle <laughs> could hand the ball to Elijah Mitchell and Debo Samuel I, and throw the ball to himself, I promise you that he would do that. There you go. It's very, I just I mean, to... to me, it's simple. Now, the one thing I will add before I hand it off because I know we got to get out of here is in uh, the one ways that I am interested and in maybe we'll take something from like the Week 10 game is like the ass kicking that they do to L.A. when when the Rams are in base, I do think that matters especially when we start talking about how effective they are at a 21 personnel. And if I'm Shanahan, again, to the point of I only want my best guys on the field touching the football, this is probably the week you know where you say, hey, we're only going 11 personnel on obvious downs and probably passing out of empty a whole bunch too to try to manufacture space. We saw that a lot in the second half. Um, against the Packers, anytime they had a third down that they needed to be converted, it was as spread as possible so you could get that one-on-one between Kittle and Campbell or whoever, whatever linebacker was covering them. But outside of that, I expect this to be a very condensed in-a-phone-booth type of football game. Um, and if they're actually able to maintain game flow well enough to be able to do that on a regular basis, that's the bet by far the best possible approach for this um, if I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan.
1: To me, I mean, I think to that end, the biggest, the the most important players in this game to me are the Rams um, defensive ends, not their outside linebackers, not Miller and Floyd. To me, it's guys like Aishon Robinson um, and Donald. I mean, we know what we're going to get from Donald, but like Aishon Robinson, I think has been really, really good the past few weeks at being a run defender, clogging stuff up. But like the way that the 49ers do their run game is they're going to run at you. They're going to run at you and they're going to run at you. And eventually you're going to break. If Aishon Robinson breaks, this game is over. It's done. Like, I think he has to play out of his mind. And we know, again,
2: knowing Shanahan, he's not going to run the ball at Aaron Donald,
1: right? Why would you? Yeah, exactly.
2: He's smarter than that. Yeah, I'm probably not running the ball at Aaron Donald. I'm probably not going to run the ball out where Von Miller can get hands on it either. So, yeah, mm-hmm. this is going to be one of those Ashawn Robinson. Hey, we're hitting the C-gap every every play, and you, you better be able up. to close it, or otherwise they're going for seven yards to carry again,
0: you know? Well, guess what kind of defense opens up the C-gap, <laughs> like the five-man right. front that they run. Hey, before we go, Deontay, just um, if you could do it in like a minute your thing that you were telling me before the show, telling us before the show, but Ramsey in the slot and when the 49ers run the football and don't run the football. Yeah, so I don't have the
2: percentages right in front of me anymore, but it's basically like a 20-point difference um, in general. And then when you start talking about like early downs in particular, like and and our friend Ben Solak was the one who pointed it out to me, and this is kind of tied to my original point when we start talking about things like what kind of personnel is on the field versus what Kyle Shanahan likes to do. So he wants to run the football when Jalen Ramsey is outside because that typically is tied with them playing base, right? You're going to put – you have two corners on the field. You're going to put them both outside. Now that means that a fourth or third, depending on what your personnel is, linebacker is on the field. And when we're talking about the Rams, a team that had to bring in Eric Weddle basically for this playoff run, a lot of that is because they don't ever want to be in position to have to play out of base. They want as many guys that are like – Decent DBs in terms of fitting the run so that way they can stay in nickel and dime stuff So I that and again this ties into like 21 personnel Can you get can you keep use check on the field on second downs, right? You can do it on first down all day long But can you get into these second down situations where you're staying in? 21 22 12 personnel things like that and if you can do that That's really where you can start to get that added value of where the fuck is debo sam going to be on this snap Like is he in the slot? Is it a condensed set is he in the backfield like and that's where you really start maximizing what it is that they do um, so for me like that's that's kind of the game within the game thing to watch is When Ramsey is in the slot are we seeing passes? And is that when they're attacking Iuke on the outside on like those glances those drift routes that we've talked about? And then when he's outside are they going to be able to run those outside zone those toss schemes? Etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, well enough in order to set up the play action passes away from Jalen Ramsey because I think that this again to the point of stars versus the not stars you're going to get a lot of Darius Williams work you're going to get a lot you're going to get a lot of work for every corner that's not Jalen Ramsey and anytime Eric Weddle's on the field please believe that there's going to be a check called to test whether or not he's <laughs> actually good enough to play at <laughs> NFC championship game level
0: Derek that's where I'm thank at you thanks for having me on again all right there you go, guys. That was a too high podcast. We will see you next week after hopefully another great uh, weekend of football.